All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the Italian Football Daily Podcast. Hope you're having a good one. Vincenzo Montella out as manager of AC Milan after their 0-0 draw with Torino on the weekend. Gattuso is in. We will talk about the future of the club and if this is the beginning of a revival for a team that spent in the offseason. And I can only imagine the difference in training and halftime speeches between those two gentlemen. Weekend results. Inter 3-1 over Cagliari. Napoli 1-0 over Udinese. We'll be previewing the big match with Juventus later in the program. Juventus 3-0 over Crotone. Genoa-Roma both end in 1-1 draws. Busy show for a goalkeeping coach and goalkeeper expert. Roberto Grosso, one of the Italian Football Daily members, will join us. Highlight some of the men in between the posts in Serie A. Zuri fan Phil. Uh, founder of Napoli Club Philly will hop on to talk about the big one, Napoli Juventus, the battle of the two top teams in Serie A. Now let's get right to it. I'm your host, Patrick Stoll, at Stoll underscore P on Twitter. I'm joined by Matt underscore Santangelo on Twitter. And joining us today for uh, the first time is uh, Joe Sirocco at Joe Antonio C. Of course, you can always hit us up on Twitter at ItalianFD and ItalianFootballDaily.com. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me, and uh, let's get right to it. Matt, you're a Milanista, uh, just like me, so what do you think dismissal of Vincenzo Montella as manager of the uh, Rossoneri? Uh, it's, I mean, it's a little bit unfortunate. I mean, I think most people, or most Milan fans, rather, um, were hoping that Montella would, would have been able to um, you know, take that next step with this team. The first step was last year, getting back to Europe, winning a trophy, and then being that guy um, to get them back to the Champions League, um, which obviously, looking right now, based on their current position, um, is going to be very difficult to accomplish, which is exactly why uh, ownership has made the decision to let Montella go. Um, the results haven't been there. Uh, although at times it seems as though the play wasn't all that bad, they just the results speak for themselves. I mean. You know, we see it with, you know, other teams across the league. You know, um, Inter is a prime example. I always like to compare with, you know, it's easy to compare the two teams just because of their city rivals. And even when Inter maybe doesn't play their best game, they find a way to get results. And that's why they're in the position they're in versus what Milan are facing right now. Um, I think it's I think it's fair. I think the, the decision to let him go... Um, was right and just, just given the fact that, you know, what Fasone said, um, you know, they couldn't really risk going any further and slipping deeper in the table. They needed to make a change now, especially with the fixtures being a little bit more friendly for them. They got Benevento coming up on the weekend. Um, and then, you know, they want to try to see if they can, you know, they didn't want to wait too long. It's, you know, we're heading into that, you know, that stage where, all right, you know, you got to start building and you got to start making a push because, Everyone from the top, correct me if I'm wrong, I think there are maybe 11 points off the top four, which, you know, couldn't, that, that, that's, that's, a big ta- that's a big sum to overcome. So um, for me, you know, again, I, I do, you know, appreciate everything Montella was able to accomplish with this team last year. Um, I think he, in my opinion, exceeded expectations and was able to do a lot with, with the little he did have to work with. But again, I think, you know, this year um, it kind of showed that the pressure was too much. The you know the, the to, as you mentioned earlier um, in the intro, the the budget, the amount of money they spent, uh, kind of you know 
put a little bit more pressure on him to succeed. And you really came under a microscope to get results early and often out of the gate to which obviously they haven't been able to do. So, um, while I, you know, do appreciate everything he was able to do with this team, I do feel that it, there was, uh, the time had come to make a change and sure enough, it happened, uh, in the early hours today as Gattuso will step in for him. Absolutely. And just to follow up on your point of they are indeed 11 points off of fourth place Roma. Roma has 31 points. Milan 20. That's actually six points behind Sampdoria in sixth. And it's a long way up to the 18 points they're missing. And the Roma also has a game in hand as well. So, I mean, you get an idea of what they could be facing. I mean, it could be larger than 11 points. So, again, And Napoli leading the pack with 38. And Joe, I'd like to bring you in now. So you are the um, non-Milan fan of the group at the moment. I'm wondering what you think uh, this means kind of for the future, kind of going forward this season with the pressure that was built by the new ownership, by all the additions. Where do you think this leads Milan? And what do you think you know, do you think this is a positive? Do you think it's a negative? Do you think they'll make it out all right, essentially? Yeah, well, um, I just want to begin by starting that Montella, I mean, he's not a bad coach by any stretch. Uh, he was put in a very difficult position uh, in the summer, Milan making so many big splashes. Uh, you know, it, I personally didn't have, I wasn't expecting them to win the Scudetto, but I did expect more out of them coming out of the gate. Uh, not in the first month. I thought it would take maybe a month and a half. By the end of October, they would start gelling. But, I mean, their their run of form hasn't has still been fairly poor, uh, and we're already at the end of November, so that was concerning, and, and I understand why uh, management needed to make this decision. Uh, it's unfortunate for Vincenzo. Uh, I think he's going to be back soon uh, for another club uh, very shortly, but for him, it was it was too much uh, with all the the turnover of eleven new players to have them gel in that kind of time, and the pressure of the club was starving for for some success. Um, it was always going to be a difficult uh, journey for him to to try and bring this team up to the top that quickly. Saying that, uh, I I don't mind. I don't know about the decision to bring Gattuso in. I don't know if he's the right guy from an intangible perspective. Uh, he he can definitely light a fire under under players. Uh, I think that's probably what Milan need right now: a good kick in the butt and uh, and play to their potential. And I think he can really drive that into them. He's a good guy to have in the room as a coach. Uh, you know, it remains to be seen because he wasn't very successful with Pisa. He wasn't very successful with Palermo either, uh, nor with uh, the Greek team that he coached as well. So uh, from from a pure tactical point i don't know if he's the right guy but yeah for a guy in the room a, a former legend uh, that he was to come in it's good for the fans it's good for the team i think they will improve but to your points uh they're the deficit is so big between fourth place and and where they are now 11 points could be could be more um it's going to be really tough for them to unless they go on a super run but we've seen that before i remember uh, being a juventus fan in the 2015-16 season when there was a poor run of form for Juve in the first three months. Around this time, uh, they had lost to uh, Sassuolo. I don't know if you guys remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Evra and, and Buffon and the leaders of the team pretty much to, you know, 
told these guys to get their heads out of their you know what's and and start playing and then they won 15 in a row so it can it happen sure uh it can is got to with that good of a coach i don't know but they needed some sort of change and i think uh change is good in this case whatever change it may be so uh i think i still think their best route is through the europa league which they've been doing fairly well i i, I would focus for them just to you know do well in the league but i think that's that they're just so far behind i think their their ticket is the europa league uh, I think they should really focus on that and not take that for granted like many Italian clubs have in the past because that might be their only shot to get into Europe and they need to make it uh, they need to pay off that debt and they need they need to make some moves it's been a few years and their fans are getting restless uh, you know I'm not a Milan fan but I, I you know it saddens me to see such a prestigious club become irrelevant so I, I really hope they can pull together and do it but uh, it's going to be really tough and they only have uh, so many games left we're almost at the, the winter break, uh, so they don't have much time. Sure, and to follow up on a couple of your points just briefly, um, first of all, uh, in terms of Gattuso's previous jobs, one could make the argument, I'm not going to make this argument, but one could say in the best position at Pisa, he wasn't in the best position at Palermo because that's never a good position position you know he, he was never put in uh what you could call like a real prime position to succeed and the counterpoint to that is well either he's in a great position at milan because he has all these players and you're building from the ground up like you gattuso himself has nothing to lose point is he might not have been put in a great position here either uh, i don't want to see what happened to Sidorf happen to him i don't want if he doesn't you know if he doesn't make it into the top four i don't want people coming after him essentially just like i didn't want them coming after nzagi just like i didn't want them coming after sedorf and another point when you said uh, there are only uh, so many games left right i heard someone say if there was a time it was probably now because there was no real improvement on Milan's part you know they've used I, I think I saw a stat saying they've used a different starting formation in every single game they've played mm -hmm. uh, the other point is so they've never improved now is the same thing as when the season started and those guys you know didn't know where they were supposed to eat yet right other point that I just want to make before we start going over a couple of results on the weekend and of course, you can always hit us up at Stoll underscore P, at Matt underscore Santangelo, and at Joe Antonio C on Twitter. We're going to have some great guests coming up, so stay tuned for that in just a few minutes. Milan's upcoming schedule. This is going to be good for Gattuso to see that squad in that environment. It's also away. Uh, a Copa Italia match, the opponent is not yet determined. And then Hellas Verona. And then right after that, right before Christmas, is Atlanta picking up from there. Um, and then, you know, you start getting some of these return fixtures of things we saw earlier. Uh, so I don't want to get too far ahead, but these next, you know, six, let's go five because Atlanta's good. You know, Benevento, you couldn't ask for a better opponent. Rieka, they mm -hmm. handled Rieka before. 
Bologna, you know, uh, Coppa Italia, now you have some more pressure. Verona, and then you start getting into harder games. So I think this, if there was a time to do it, it was probably now. I don't love changing managers mid-season. That has worked out for Milan in the past. Never-ending coaching carousel. Again, Allegri out, Seedorf, and then Inzaghi, and then he got fired, and then there was an interim, Mihailovic, and then he got fired, and there was an interim, and then Montella's the only one who got to stay for a whole year, and now he's gone in, you know, a third of the season. So it, it's a rough position. I think, Joe, you make great points about we don't know what Gattuso is as a coach, really. And I think he is going to be a good locker room guy. I don't know the extent of him as a coach. We'll see. But he definitely will bring something different, which at this point, it's probably just you got to try it and you got to see if it works. So moving on, before we bring our first guest, Roberto Grosso, he's a valued member of Italian Football Daily. He's an expert in goalkeeping, and he's going to help us highlight uh, exceptional performances and some uh, often underappreciated men in between the posts in Syria. I uh, just want to go over a couple of the Syria scores from the weekend. Bologna 3-0 over Sampdoria. Uh, probably not what a lot of people were expecting based on the fact that Sampdoria just beat Juve. You know, that that's a surprising result in itself. Verona beats Sassuolo 2-0. Chievo 2-1 over Spal. Drops 3-1 to Inter, who just continued their tear, only surpassed by Napoli. Genoa, Roma, 1-1. Lazio, Fiorentina, 1-1. Juve, 3-0 over Crotone. And Napoli, of course, win again at Udinese, 1-0. So uh, what match stood out to you? Like, what really caught your eye in this full slate of Serie A games? Um, I mean, for me, for me, obviously, the one you mentioned was uh, Bologna, what was it, 3-0 over Sampdoria at home. Yep. Um, I think for me, Sampdoria team, I think they're, obviously, we never know, they're one of the on the insides at home um, in Europe. Uh, we obviously saw how good they are and how, how much they thrive off that home field atmosphere when they beat Juventus the week earlier. Um, so that was one of the ones I would say that was pretty kind of shocking. I think, you know, they're not... I don't think, you know, Sampdoria are a team that's dominant and they can, you know, be a team that week in and week out, you know, continues to batter teams. But so they're going to have their, their ups and downs. But overall, I think they're going to be a very consistent team. And I think until the very end, they're going to stick in that um, that chase for one of the Europe, Europe spots in Italy. I think the biggest game for me, uh, or the two biggest games for hand in hand, because I thought they do... Um, are quite you know relevant at that when you when you're talking about those teams chasing for top four, um, is Roma's match against Genoa. Um, obviously, we saw that um, De Rossi got a you know elbowed or hit or whatever it was with Gianluca Lapadula. Lapadula buried the penalty and it was pretty much costed um, Roma two additional points in that game, um, which obviously had had its own set of controversy there as well amongst Roma fans and amongst. Uh, Syria ex uh, aficionados, but then you look at the game at Napoli, where Napoli didn't look as strong overall, but they are man they managed to eke out a victory in a match that really wasn't their best. Um, and I think that's what that's where really you find who the true um, 
title contenders, at least in my opinion, this is just what I feel, um, is how you manage to scrap out points in games where you don't look your best or you're not necessarily full fit or, or whatever the case may be. And I think, you know, I think that, that could be a little bit, you can look back and say, well, you know, Roma kind of, you know, blew it here in a way because they could have had two additional points and really put the pressure on. But I mean, Overall, I don't think we learned too much this past week, and I think overall most would agree that the top four teams are Roma, in no order, Roma, Napoli, Inter, and Juve. But um, yeah, I mean, anytime you see a big team kind of maybe perhaps slip up slightly, and you know, in the way that obviously happened with Roma, um, you kind of take notice because it always feels as though at the end of the year, you know, those 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 matches here and there where you do not get the full points when it feels like you should have. Those seem to kind of play take a large uh, large role in the table when it's all said and done. Joe, real quick before we get to Roberto, which match really stuck out to you, and uh, just what do you think about the weekend that happened? I mean, it wasn't a weekend that was too spectacular. Uh, I think for me, the, the one match that really stood out to me was was Genoa Roma. Uh, as much as it was for the uh, the De Rossi incident as it was for Roma, who, I mean, Genoa's not having the best year or, uh, you know, it could go down and rele- could be relegated. Roma's in fine form and uh, they were just stopped. They they were making the same mistakes that they plagued them in the last few years uh, in, lo- in tying or losing to these small teams. And De Rossi, I think I was just shocked at, uh, you know, his immaturity to commit such a, a foul like that, uh, slapping, you know, Lapadula in the face, a uh, very childish of him for a man of that. And, and unfortunately, this isn't the first time that he's done these these stunts. Uh, I mean, I was watching uh, La Domenica Sportiva last night, and that was a big topic uh, that, you know, the analysts were discussing. So many of, uh, he's he's had many red cards on, on foolish decisions, on, on elbows, on uh, you know, slaps, uh, things like that. Uh, in Champions League, uh, you know, for the national team, we remember 06, uh, and for Roma. So I was surprised at, at, at that uh, and that Roma stalled. Other than that, you know, Napoli didn't really uh, play that well, but they got the win, and good teams do that, albeit on a fortuitous uh, VAR call uh, or on a penalty. Uh, but uh, they got it done, and Inter is winning games. Um and they're just, you know, that was expected. Ju- Juve- Juventus was expected to, to be Crotone. So other than Roma, everything went uh, as planned as far as I'm concerned. We're going to take a break from the uh, weekend recap. We're going to bring on our friend Roberto Grosso. He is an editor at Italian Football Daily. And, uh, of course, he is a huge goalkeeping coach in his own right. Roberto, thanks a lot for joining us, man. How are you? Hey, it's my pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for having on. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being here. So uh, we'll just start with this. What goalkeeping performance really, really stood out to you over the weekend? Uh, Of course, you pay attention to the goalkeepers a little more than probably the average person and even, you know, some of us who pay attention to this stuff a lot, right? So what goalkeeping performance really stood out to you? Uh, I think for me, one of the main performances, which was very, very interesting, was Stefano Sorrentino, Chievo against Spal. And Sorrentino has shown his longevity in the league. Um, fantastic, fantastic reflexes still at the age that he's at, very late into his uh, into his 30s. And he made some fine on-the-line saves, great on 1v1s. 
really, really kept Kievo into that game, which then allowed them to collect the winner later on uh, through Arabelto Inglese. And honestly, he's just a, he's just a pure leader. The emotions that he invokes, his style of play, big presence, comes out large on the 1v1s, and he made a massive difference in that game. But I just have to note that he was playing against another stellar goalkeeper on the other end, and Alfred Gomez. And if I may, um, for me, this season, Alfred Gomez has been a revelation. Uh, he's, he's an exceptional young talent, still only 24 years old, recently got called up to the Senegalese national team. And I find so far this season, he's been impeccable. He's tall frame, great presence, long arms, uh, which helps a lot on diving distance, being able to cover, you know, getting those extra inches to be able to cover goal. Um, he is probably one of the best in the attacco pala technique. Um, really literal translation, attacking the ball at the attacker's feet. Um, sort of reminds me a lot of uh, Samir Handanovic, Mitya Perin, Marquette used to be big on it, uh, and even Donnarumma, uh, who's also very big on the, the Ataco Pala 1v1s. Uh, so Alfred Gomez is another fantastic, fantastic goalkeeper. On this day, though, um, in that game, it was Sorrentino. Um, I guess a goalkeeping performance that was a bit shocking to me. Um, but in a way, it's more of a disappointment. Uh, and I'm going to have to go with Simone Scuffet, uh, because at this point in time, it's his second chance um, back into the squad after having quite a, a per, you know, it's, it's a bit of a strange debut of a season for him because Simone Scuffet, we all know uh, his backstory. Um, this, was, uh, this was a young goalkeeper, and we can't forget that he's still only 21 years old, uh, even though he falls into the category of, uh, you know, uh, he must have been around forever. But he's only 21 years old. He came into the league in 13-14 uh, prior to the 2014 World Cup. And we know how that was. Francesco Guidolin brought him in. He had so many stellar performances. This is a goalkeeper who had strong reactions on his line, great personality, um, fantastic reflex saves, pretty decent on distribution. And he took over right away. Right. I mean, he was the biggest star. He was the talk of the town. He's a he's a uh, Udinese born player. He's from the youth academy. And of course, there's nothing better than seeing a hometown kid start uh, in the starting 11. It's fantastic. Um, and then we know he went through some of the worst lows possible going ended up the next season under Stramaccioni uh, only ended up playing two games, start off the season with an ankle injury. Then after he was benched for most of the year and only played very, very late in the season. And then afterwards, uh, that's when the downward spiral hit. Went on loan to Como, played 35 games, uh, games, and then ended up in Lega Pro <laughs> right after after he got relegated uh, with the team. And now with Orestes Carnes having been gone, um, he's been given that that opportunity to get back into the fold. You know, again, the hometown kid's going to get a chance to be the number one the number one goalkeeper on this team. Um, even though he has someone like Alex Mareb breathing down his neck and then not far down the line, also Samuel Perizan, but he was given the keys right now, right? He's given the keys to the vehicle. He's, he's captaining the ship and he had this, this just, there was something different about him. And aside from the performance that he just had now only be, and he's only playing this past weekend because Albano Bizzari got the red card last game. But the thing with Scufe is that he just doesn't seem to be the same person. He's very indecisive in his decisions, both in when the shot is being taken. There were times this game and in certain games this season where you see he wasn't sure what to do with his hands. Does he go for the scoop? Does he go to palm away? Does he go to catch? 
um, unsure on what to do on 1v1s, making poor decisions coming out to attack a ball when he doesn't need to, especially if he has one of his teammates already marking the player and all he has to do is just stand his ground and then deal with the shot. Um, we've seen many times this season where he spilled shots. Uh, let's go back to the game with Torino, the, the long strike by Lialic, which uh, he ended up fumbling. Again, a direct shot that took a bounce, came towards him, unable to deal with it, ended up turning into a Bellotti goal. Uh, and then same thing now here, uh, this past weekend, ended up uh, spilling the uh, the penalty kick. I would tend to believe that the ball took a bit of a slight curve on there, but if you watch the tape carefully, um, from at least from, from what I had seen from the angle, he's going to dive with his hands almost as if he's trying to scoop it. So his hands are very wide apart. He's not looking to palm the ball, spills out. And then, of course, what does he do? He gets up and he starts yelling at the people in front of him. So um, I don't know. I think uh, I think right now, best performance this weekend, honestly, was was Stefano Sorrentino. Great, great, great performance. And for me, the bit of the weaker performance was uh, Simone Scuffet. Now, now, Roberto, I want to ask you something because um, I think there was a lot to take away from the uh, Torino-Milan game this past week and obviously a 0-0 draw. Um, on both ends, they're both tremendous efforts and goal, at least in my opinion. Um, let's start with Sirigu. I mean, we obviously know what, what happened with him leaving PSG, going on loan. I forgot where he went on loan afterwards. I believe it was in Spain. You guys can correct me on that. But, you know, it was kind of, he kind of got lost in the shuffle after being um, really in the mix of the, with the Azuri over the past couple of years. I, you know, he obviously made these appearances um at the world cup and everything like that and you know so it was kind of great to see him come back to italy where i felt he would get a little bit more um back on course with his form um with torino who obviously are a team that's kind of in again that that second tier of competing for europa league so my question to you is with sirigo i mean you could compare the performances in, in net from him versus what we saw sporadically last year with joe hart i mean you know, what, what have you taken from Sirigu's performances, more specifically this past weekend, because he denied Milan a couple good chances and he looked very good in that. The thing with Sirigu is you can see that he's been revitalized. Um, a bit of a a bit of a rough journey for him in France. I mean, he went from being the number one goalkeeper at, at Paris Saint-Germain. Trap later came in, so of course that relegated him to a bench role. Um, and I would like someone to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe one of the reasons you know Sirigu was was demoted to the backup and having someone like Trap comes in is because Trap was really good with with his distribution with the feet. Um, but regardless, uh, you know Sirigu did not seem to be able to get those opportunities afterwards. And I think, especially in that point in time, knowing that PSG also had Areola uh, in the wings waiting. I think Sirigu was, was slowly starting to realize that maybe his time was up. Um, to just add to your question, um, or excuse me, just add to what you were saying, uh, he was loaned out to Osasuna. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. I believe. I'm almost 100% sure that he was loaned out to uh, it was Osasuna. It was uh, Sevilla and, and then Osasuna. Yeah. That's so it. And, and then what ended up happening there, he goes on loan, um, doesn't do much better there. Team gets relegated. He took six, or I believe even seven against Barcelona. And that was that was a nail in the coffin there. Uh, so for him coming back to Italy is is sort of a new start. Was a new start for him. Um, more of a it's, it's a comfort zone for him. He's going into a team where he is was guaranteed to be the starting goalkeeper. I mean, they sent uh, 
Zakanyo out on loan. They had Vanja Milinkovic Savage, who, by the way, is another monster. Uh, six foot six goalkeeper who they had recently brought in. He he stayed behind. And then uh, don't forget that they also own the rights to Alfred Gomez on loan at Spal. Uh, but Sirigu right now is probably playing some of the best that he's played in uh, the last couple of seasons. Uh, this, this, this past weekend, uh, for one, had made some tremendous, tremendous saves uh, against uh, Milan, especially on Kalinic. Uh, let's start with uh, the cross that came in, header, point-blank range, gets up immediately to his feet, closes off his first post and access to the six, and then denies uh, Kalinic at point-blank range with his feet, only because of the speed and the proximity to the ball, he had to use his feet there, but was able to get it. But the way he made that save was able to, you know, push the ball further out. It would deflect it off his feet and went wider, you know, away from a dangerous area. Uh, you had the great 1v1 save on Kalinic also. Body low, stayed in his shape, able to deny Kalinic low onto the right side. And that's the type of performance that you want to obviously have from your goalkeeper. But for someone like Sirigu, those are the type of performances that, that you know, make you again believe that you're, you're, you have a worth as a number one goalkeeper. And for me also, one of the best performances I've seen from, from Sirigu this season was against, uh, was against Juve. And he had a fantastic, fantastic second half uh, during that game earlier in the season. Um, I, I'm, I'm very happy to see him in this position. I think also having him in Torino and having some young goalkeepers there, someone you know, like Vanja Milinkovic-Savic, he acts as a mentor role. We're talking about a, a player who, who knows Italian football, who's been on the national team, who's played outside of the country. So there's a lot of experience that he can bring there too. Uh, also in training, you know, the training methods that someone like, like Milinkovic-Savic could learn from Sirigu. And uh, I, think, I think the Torino faithful um, feel a lot more at ease having someone of that quality in goal. I mean, Joe Hart had his bright spots last year, but also made uh, a lot of mistakes also. Uh, but honestly, City Sirigu, great to be back in Serie A. I think it's maybe a bit far-fetched now to see him maybe get back into the, or maybe it's too early to say getting back into the national team picture. Mm -hmm. But um, listen, as the season goes on, he's doing great for Torino. He's being fantastic. And he had another marvelous weekend against Milan. Those were some uh, great uh, points there, uh, Roberto. Uh, my question to you, uh, and this this goes back to uh, the discussion we had on, on, I believe, in the first podcast of the Italian national team and, and youth. Uh, we've seen a lot of a lot of great young goaltending prospects come out of Italy: um, Mere, Scuffe, uh, Donnarumma, of course, and uh, Nicola Leali as well, who um, was a target of Juventus. Uh, what do you attribute this? Uh, this generation of, of great young goalies were all under the age of 22. What do you attribute this, this boon of, of talented young Italian goalkeepers to? Because as you know, uh, in, in our culture, we're historically uh, been able to produce defensemen at a high rate, but now it's it seems the tide has turned to goalkeeping. What do you attribute this to? Uh, personally, I do attribute it to, to the training and, and to the fantastic, you know, the coaching education that uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the goalkeeper coaches uh, in Italy are receiving at Covera Channel. But uh, 100% it comes down to the training methods. Um, you know, you have a lot of fantastic goalkeeper coaches uh, across Italy. Um, and like Alfredo Magni, Claudio Filippo, Filippi, uh, to, to name two. And 
you know, it, it's the, the, the attention to detail there is in training, the, the, the intensity level that, and the, the, the type of, of methods that they're put through uh, within training. And I think it's also the opportunities now that a lot of young goalkeepers are, uh, are getting. Um, you know, there was always that talk about players getting, you know, sent out alone. They're not really getting a chance to play and it's causing a lot of issues. But I think in the recent years now, you see a lot of goalkeepers um, that were getting also loaned out uh, to City Bay. And we're starting, um, you know, again, you, you look at guys like uh, Nicola uh, Leali and Bardi uh, in the past, most recently Mere, Cranio, you have uh, Zacanio after having a fantastic uh, U20 World Cup and got loaned out to, if I'm, if I'm correct, Pistoese in Lega Pro, uh, Alessandro Plizzari, who, you know, despite, you know, hitting a bit of the injury, but this season, uh, is a starting goalkeeper at Ternana. Uh, you had uh, Stefano Minelli at Brescia, uh, also important time in the season. You had, uh, you know, another uh, young goalkeeper, Gabriele Marchegiani, who's back. He was backing up uh, Mera at Spal, and I think got a few games in also. Um, and even even this season, if you look uh, at Serie B, you still have uh, a number of young goalkeepers, uh, Lorenzo Motipo at Novara. So as you're looking, I think it comes down to, um, you know, uh, the coaching staff, the goalkeeper, co the quality of the goalkeeping coaches and the type of training um, environment and training methods and sessions that they're putting these young goalkeepers through. Um, and along also the opportunities that, uh, that they're getting on loan. I mean, you know, they're not just, not just rotting on the bench. They're actually playing 30 mm -hmm. odd games a season. So um, that's what I attribute it to personally. Okay, Roberto, last, last question for you, because you know, I'm really enjoying this insight, as most of you are as well. Um, we've, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, everyone's been talking a lot about Donnarumma over the past couple of years, ever since he pretty much broke into the first team with Milan a couple of years ago. Now, this year, there was a couple instances where, um, and you can kind of tell me where this, what this could be attributed to, that there was a couple movements or maneuvers or things you picked up about Donnarumma's game, you know, slight maybe... Um, additional movements or things like that that have pretty much prevented him from reaching balls that he otherwise should be expected to reach. And I just want to point out, what do you think that's attributed to? Because, you know, this weekend we saw him make, he looked more like, you know, it's funny that we're saying it, but more like vintage Donnarumma, right? For a big guy getting down quickly to make a double save and things like that to really save Milan um, some points. What do you think is attributed to the, those little hitches and those little, you know, those those additional steps he takes before, you know, li, you know, making an attempt at a save, or the certain things you picked up with his game this year that looks different than other uh, past years? What do you think's the reason for those additional things happening in his game um, from a goal, uh, goalkeeping coach perspective? Because you are around it often. So, what do you think is because of that? Um, well, I think the first thing is just to go and see, like, what are those type of you know mistakes or the type of movements that he's doing. Um, and I noticed the one thing for Donnarumma because he's got a lot of lower body strength and a lot of flexibility. Um, this is a, <clears throat> my apologies guys, this is a goalkeeper who usually stands a lot wider than most goalkeepers. Um, and if you, and if you notice in his stance, um, his legs are usually sometimes a bit maybe wider than his shoulders. Um, yet he's still able to push off, get a lot of power, top handed saves, um, you know, taking the save last year that he made against Kadira uh, at Juve as one of the, you know, the most uh, obvious examples. Um, there are times where he relies so much, though, and too much uh, on his lower body power without taking a step because he feels that with his long reach and with his power, um, that he can reach, that he can be able to get certain balls that are further away from his body. Um, 
let's take an example uh, earlier this season against Roma, the first goal um, that was scored by Zeko. Zeko takes a touch over with his right. And at first, prior to the touch, Donnarumma is aligned with the ball. Body is behind the ball. If the shot is coming directly at him, whether going left or right, barring a deflection, I believe he makes the save. Okay, Because he has the reach to do it and he's able to push off and power off to get to it. But once the touch is made, Donnarumma stays in his position. He doesn't take a small step over to his left. He pushes off directly and he tries to get there. And watching it from different angles, from the back camera to the overhead cam, um, twice after looking it over, you could see that he was maybe inches away. And those are those are times where he he's done excuse me he's done this multiple times over where he's tried to reach balls from his from his his still position or his set position without taking a certain movement and i and i think for him it's just a reliance um going down to you know there are certain parts of his uh, of maybe in his training where uh the goalkeeper coach at that point would have to sort of analyze this and say and and you know correct it there and say okay well you know what these are times where you got to take those extra steps you know and watching you know or seeing yeah watching you know some of of, of Donnarumma's training uh through video I know in some of his training with Alfredo Mani he makes the same sort of movements right so I think it it just comes down to you know it's comfort level there but he needs to be able sometimes to take those extra steps you can't always rely on it um I'm going to take another example uh you know someone who's about the same height as him about maybe the same frame maybe just not as bulkier going back to Alfred Gomez same thing too there are times where he takes you know his he tries to power off from where he is he takes a step more inside towards his opposite foot than taking a step away, taking a step, power step more like forward and diving off and then relying on reach. Donnarumma has done that many times. Um, there are also times where uh, Donnarumma gets caught getting beat. You know, there was once this season, uh, I, and for some reason now it's escaping me, um, and I believe it was against uh, Napoli where he got beat through his legs. From uh, that's what it was. It was against Anzalinski's goal, coming out on a one v one, and you're standing extremely wide, right? And he and he just gets beat easily through his legs. And you go look at some other goalkeepers, let's say Strakosha, for example, um, who comes out on a one v one, but he's he's very closed in. His knees are his knees are locked in together. His feet are closed together. He's got his hands close to his body. Donnarumma has more of a larger stance in both when he comes out for for a one v one challenge to also when he's standing on his line, or is he standing in a higher position? Um, and I think, um, we know, we've had conversations about this before, and I brought it up that one other thing that Donnarumma does a lot is that he jumps before some shots. Mm-hmm. There was an instance in this game, and, and I see the goal, and I, my apologies if I can't remember the game exactly. He, it's a shot from an angle, and he, he leaps up completely, gets both feet off the ground a good inch or so, uh, and then gets beat low to his right side going second post. And these are things he's been doing since he's entered into the league. And I think this has to start, this has to go back to the training methods and correct it. Um, again, I, for him, I think it's a, it's, a, it's an over-reliance on his, on his reach, over-reliance on his, his old habits that he has. Um, and these are just small things. Listen, he's still an elite goalkeeper. He's very young. He's going to have a fantastic bright future. He's, I believe, he, you know, pending he stays at Milan or, or if he ever leaves in the future, he's going to have a great career. Future with the national team also. I do believe, though, that he's making still some of the fundamental mistakes that you would expect maybe from, you know, much younger goalkeeper or sorry, or less experienced goalkeeper. Um, but again, uh, he's still fantastic off his line, very aggressive on 1v1, will attack balls in the box a lot further than most goalkeepers. And, uh, you know, he's getting better with his feet. 
And uh, but those are the few things there. Yeah, I mean, I think it just goes back to uh, goes back to his training methods and his reliance on just on uh, on some old habits that he has. Roberto, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate your time. And Twitter at rgrosso84. You can always check out some goalkeeping analysis from him. Uh, it's my pleasure, and uh, hope to be back on a future podcast. Absolutely, we'll be sure to have you on. Thank you a lot, Roberto. There goes Roberto. Uh, great goalkeeping spotlight. I think that's really interesting about Donnarumma that, you know, we talk about he's so tall and he can reach a lot, but it's almost, it almost sounds like it's a disadvantage he's that big. That is analysis that, you know, you, you don't get from a lot of other people. So that's great stuff. In the next match day, match day 15 out of 38, it's weird. We're almost like halfway through. It feels like the season kind of just started. It also kind of feels like it's been going on forever, especially if you're a Milan fan. Quick, before we get Phil on here, uh, besides Napoli, Juve, because that's the big one, what do you think you are going to be looking out for in this day coming up? For me, it's definitely going to be obviously how um, Milan traveled to Benevento with um, Gattuso now in charge. I think that's going to be the biggest thing for for uh, most people following, whether it be Milan fan or you know whoever. I think they they want to see what type of team and what type of uh, attitude is going to take to the pitch on Sunday, and that's the thing I'm you know very eager to interesting uh, eager or interested in seeing. Just for the simple fact is. Montella and Catuso, they're very different different managers um, in the sense of how they coach and everything like that. Obviously, we mentioned earlier, um, I think it was Joe, he talked about you know like his his tactics, and there was some questions around that if he would be able to bring um, a an attractive style of football through his tactics. But I think the, the biggest thing that you may, I at least hope to see from this game is a little bit more spirit, a little bit more fight. I think we've seen it in brief spots at this, at this, uh, during the season, but I think we haven't seen it enough, um, for collectively a couple individuals. Obviously we know Putrone is one of the guys who's very passionate and wears his, um, his emotions on his sleeve. But, um, I think it's going to be interesting to see, um, what type of formation he fields. Um, and then I think that's going to be, um, that's going to be telling for a few reasons. One, who he goes with as a striker, what type of formation he goes in uh, in defense. Does he go four at the back? Does he go three at the back? I think projected formations are saying that he's going to go with a 4-3-3 and maybe a 3-4-3 kind of a, a switching in between the two. Um, so for me, Milan, all eyes are going to be on uh, Benevento Milan just uh, to see how Gattuso fares in his first game. What do you think, Joe? Uh, yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, we'll see how uh, how he deals uh, with his first game, and and like you mentioned earlier, uh, you couldn't have picked a better opponent. You know, unfortunately, you know, as much as I want Benevento to at least win a game, uh, it doesn't look like it would, it'll happen against Milan. Uh, I mean, I'm very interested, uh, like yourselves, uh, to see what kind of formation he pulls out if he wants to go with the back three. Or if he could somehow uh, revolutionize, uh, uh, revive Bonucci's form uh, in a back four, um, I think you, you got to keep Suzo on there mm -hmm. uh, as a winger. Uh, he's he's too good to leave on the bench. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, it, I mean, it remains to be seen. Against Benevento, I don't think you can go wrong with it, with any formation. But uh, it'll be a, it provides a great opportunity to kind of just 
practice that, uh, test out the kinks, uh, see if, if it'll work for them. Um, the other, I'm just looking through the matches now. Uh, other than that, I mean, I'm, will Inter continue against Kevo, who is, is not a bad team at all? Uh, will they continue their momentum, or will they they eventually slip up with their points? Uh, so far, they've they played really good, and Mauri Cardi is having an MVP type season. Um, but you know, is will they will they drop any points? Is this the match that, that they stumble a little bit, um, or will they keep up with Napoli? Uh, that will be a big game, Napoli Juventus uh, on for for all the top four teams. Uh, if it's a stalemate, that's if it results in a tie, then the, the door is wide open for Inter to take advantage. Uh, but if either Napoli or Juventus win, it just gets a lot tighter at the top. So, um, and Sampdoria, Lazio as well. Uh, interesting matchup. Two very, uh, very talented teams. Interesting teams. Uh, two dark horses. One for Champions League uh, football, and the other for the Europa League. So that will be interesting, and to see if Sampdoria bounce back after a terrible game uh, this past weekend. I think it's also going to, just to add to it, I also think it's going to be very interesting um, to continue looking at Inter and see if they can actually, you know, it's, I mean, as, as weird as this sounds, I think I've been saying it for a while now, I think they're capable of hitting an, another level in their game. I think in certain games, there's, they, they've looked strong on paper with the result, but I think like this past weekend, 3-1 to, uh, uh, to Cagliari, I think it's a game that, you know, on the paper, it looks okay. You saw Guardi two goals and everything like that, and it looks like it, they just convincingly won. But I think they they still have another level they can reach. I think they can actually be better as a team under Spalletti. I mean, if I'm, I'm just looking at some of the upcoming games they have. Obviously, they got Kievo this weekend, but on December 9th, they got Juventus. That's so you got to look at some of these games they got coming up here, and this is a little bit of a stretch here where we're gonna really see. You know, can they hit that next level? Is it maybe against Kievo where we see them breach that next level in their game under Spalletti? Or is it the Derby d'Italia where they, that's where they really take that, they rise? Because we saw last year, even with Frank De Boer early on, before he got sacked, they beat Juventus 2-1. So oh, I think they're yeah. very capable of, you know, showing us a little bit more. And I think that's going to be the, certainly the, the game. These next couple of weeks are going to be the certain, uh, the games to watch to see if Inter can actually take that next leap and to be possible title contenders. I think that's a really good point. And uh, I heard someone uh, discussing Inter and how good they've been this season. And I think it's really important to note how Spalletti has changed the team, but also just the, the tactical play that Spalletti brings is absolutely spot on. So that highlighting of when um, Salah was at Roma with Spalletti, he was balling out, right? Mm -hmm. You put Perisic in that situation, and look at that. He's doing really well. Icardi, we know how good he is, but when he's assisted by that great winger play, you know, I'm not saying that, Kievo are a bad team. They're obviously, they're sitting in ninth. They actually have the same amount of points as Milan. With, uh, with 14 matches played, they have five wins. So Kievo is not a bad team. They're underrated a lot, but I don't think this is the match where Inter slips up. It's hard to see that. I think it's hard seeing them slip up until Juve, and then if they, if they beat Juve, you know, look out. That lack of European competition is doing them wonders this season. 
they're they're fresh every game. And obviously, I'm keeping my eye on Benevento Milan. I really want to see how that uh, how Milan line up, who gets in, where, what position. You know, a big complaint about Montella was people being out of position, right? Suso never on the right wing. Barini sometimes in one place, some place, sometimes in another. You know, Bonaventura in Montella's last match played right wing back. It will be interesting to see. Uh, what do you think? Do you do you have any idea as to what we might see from Milan? And you know, this is this is must win because if if <laughs> if they don't win against Benevento, then you know the mudslide just keeps going, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think obviously it would just be, it would you just based on the opponent. And this is, excuse me, no offense to any Benevento listeners we may have um, listening here, but um, Benevento haven't won a single game in the entire year. I think they have fourteen losses actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you, that that would be. I mean, this is if I understand that Cattuso is going to probably need some time to get his tactics, his personnel, get things in order. Um, and rightfully so, but I mean, regardless of whether or not you know you're a new coach or anything like that, I mean the the names on the field. There should be plenty of plenty to you know not make this a little bit of a you know a nervous game for Milan fans as they watch this weekend. I think um, I think Gattuso is gonna again I, as I mentioned earlier probably a three four three or a four three three. I'm just curious to see whether or not. Um, he goes with like a guy like Andre Silva, or he goes with a guy like Cutrone as that lone striker. If he does play with one up front, um, I obviously do think he'll play. Um, again, this is just what I'm what I predict, or at least I think he should go with um, Bonaventura and Suso as wingers. I think Bonaventura in a more forward position. I think that's where he thrived most under Mihalovic, and I think that's where he should stay. Um, a three-man midfield with Kessie Montoliva, I believe, is whose credit to him he's been playing pretty well of late. Um, is going to be in the midfield, and I think I saw a projected lineup where I had Chalhanoglu as that left midfielder. So I think for me overall, he's going to probably go with um, you know a little more of a standard formation um, with four in the back. Um, again, I think the biggest thing is to see if he goes with Kajanich or someone like that because. You know, let's face it. The fans have been calling for guys like Cutrone and Silva, and I think if he's going to want, if, if Cattuso is to win over anybody from the jump, um, playing one of the two would be the best thing to go with. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm on board. I think that uh, the three-five-two would work. I think you know, process of elimination in my mind, where okay, what players do you have that fit what position? Right? If you're going to play with two strikers, you have your two strikers. You have Silva, you have Cutrone. Move back. Suso plays on the right wing. Put him there. If you want to play four at the back, you can put Barini at right wing back. And then you can put Suso somewhere on the right. But you know, I, I think you're right that it's going to be a nervous kind of matchup. If the formation looks similar to Montella's, the fans aren't going to be happy. Right? It's going to be like, oh great, here we go. This is going to be a long season. Uh, the last thing you would want is an Avento game being like, oh boy, like what are we in for? So now that we've kind of highlighted some matches that are not Napoli-Juve, let's shift gears. Uh, and before we do our predictions, we got to talk about it. It's the biggest match in Italy. 
so far this season, right? It's the biggest, you know, point total so far. Kind of like the old guard in Juve. Of course, they've won six titles back to back to back. They've made all these Champions League title or uh, finals. And now you have Napoli, who Pep Guardiola himself said are one of the most exciting teams in Europe and one of the hardest to beat, one of the most fun to watch. So this is the big one. And Napoli Inter was one and two. Napoli Juve, to me, says kind of like new versus old, uh, big versus small. Like this, this is absolutely enormous. So I want to get your guys' take. And let's start with Joe on this one because... Uh, a stake in the in the match. So, what is your take on Juve going into the match? Other side, Napoli, and what do you think? You know, prediction. What do you think is going to happen? Well, uh, you're right. This is a, a big match all over Italy. Uh, it, it reminds me a lot of the rivalry that Juventus and Napoli had in the 1980s between Maradona and Southern Italy versus uh, the Northern Italian teams of Juventus. Uh, this is obviously Napoli's most talented team and best chance uh, since uh, 1990 to win the Scudetto. They're, they're in fine form. They played very, very well this season. Very great attacking uh, uh, football. Uh, Juventus, I mean, they're still hanging around there. Uh, but they haven't looked consistent this year. They they could be playing a lot better. Uh, they have so much potential, and arguably they have a deeper team than they in in some positions. Uh, definitely up front than they have last year. Uh, they've got 40, uh, 40 goals. They lead um, Italy in in goals, but they've conceded a lot in the back. Uh, there's been a lot of. Uh, you know, we talked about uh, Milan changing formations a lot uh, during the season. Uh, Juve's defensive uh, setup has changed almost every game. There's a different defender in there, and it hasn't been consistent. Uh, they've got uh, a healthy Havides back, and he I think he played re- very well against Crotone. Didn't look really out of place, um, and he's a good defender uh, to have. Um, it remains to be seen what kind of formation uh, Juve puts out. Uh, I know they've been using the four-two-three-one. Uh, it has not. It worked so well last year, but it has not to no avail this time around. It just doesn't work anymore. Um, I think they're they're going to stick with their three-four-two-one uh, that they've used against Barcelona and Crotone. Um, I, they might line up if I can predict the lineup. Uh, see, the, the, I would not have Barzali. Typically, you'd have Barzali, the more experienced guy, uh, and Allegri loves the guy. And and tip, I think he will start, but I wouldn't put put him in a game like this when Napoli is just so quick. Especially when you got Lorenzo Insigne, who's playing the best, who's in his prime, he's playing the best uh, football in his career. He's a quick, uh, shifty player going up against Barzali, who has lost a step, who progressively has lost a step every year. Uh, it could be very dangerous. And you've got Dries Mertens who, I mean, this guy can, can change the game uh, when he, you know, one play and change the whole game. 
So I don't know. I, I I'm fearful for their uh, their defense. It could be slow, even with Chiellini coming back from that thigh injury. If he, if he plays, uh, it's a big risk to have you know Callejon and Mertens just driving the ball through uh, you know Route One football uh, on a team on a defense that lacks pace. Uh, their midfield, and by the way, I I did. I did like their setup against Barcelona and Crotone. I thought they looked much more stable uh, with that back three, uh, three um, their new formation than they have all season. But against a team like Napoli, may not work. Um, will we see DiBala, you know, break out of his slump? That'll be a big factor. Um, a player like that, what separates a, a generational, a world class player from a good player from a star? Is, is showing up in big games. So he's got to step up. He's got to show the world his potential. Uh, he's a 23-year-old guy, but he, I mean, he's, he's played in big games before. He scored big goals. He's got to do it now. That, that's where you earn your money as a, as a top player. Uh, Higuain, will he be healthy? He really wants to, to come back uh, against Napoli, obviously, his former team. Uh, we'll see there uh, if, if he can do it. Uh, Mandzukic, uh he wants to play up front. He doesn't want. He's told Allegri he doesn't want to uh, play on the wing anymore uh, in preparations for the World Cup. And, and I agree. I mean, he's 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 sacrificed a lot, uh, but he's a striker. So give him the number nine, traditional up front. If Higuain is at hundred percent, I would put Mandzukic, uh, who who brings a lot to the table, a lot of different a uh, different skill set than than Higuain. Uh, but it's going to be a barn burner. Uh, it's going to be, they're playing in, in Naples at the San Paolo, one of the most intimidating uh, stadiums in the world. Uh, it's going to be a very hostile crowd. Uh, Napoli really hates Juve. Uh, Neapolitans really, you know, despise them. So they're going to be on them the whole game. Uh, it's going to be a, a great game. My prediction would be a 1-1 draw. Uh, I think Napoli is going to hit first, but Juve will battle back and uh, and get that goal uh, for a stalemate. That's my prediction. Absolutely. And before we get some final predictions to close uh, our podcast here at Time Football Daily, we would like to welcome in our second guest of the day, the Zordi fan Phil, Napoli Club Philly, to present a little bit of a different take. Thanks for having me on. What do you think of, uh, let's say, Napoli's red-hot form coming into uh, one of the biggest matches they've played all season? Yeah, I think we're exactly where we want to be. Um, uh, Kind of ironic saying this, but uh, coming off of a bit of an ugly win, we didn't play too well uh, in our last match at Udinese. Uh, But I think that's exactly what we need. grinding out those difficult wins uh, uh, that's that's one of the key ingredients to uh, finally winning a scudetto so uh, I, I like where we are going into arguably the, the biggest match of the season so Phil I mean I mean would you, I have a question for you so do you think I mean I think over the past couple of weeks a lot of people have been talking about um, sorry and his um, his rotation and how he's been able to manage that across, you know, um, Champions League and maintaining his run um, for a Scudetto. 
do you think we're going to see anything the same same old lineup this any uh, this, this weekend or I mean on rather on Friday or do you think it's going to be um maybe he'll make a little bit of a change here and there what do you what do you think's going to happen in terms of lineups and his uh switches Yeah I think this will be the classic 11 um we have seen a little bit of a switch up at times uh with uh, Zelinsky or Diawara uh but I think uh we're going to stick with our uh, classic midfield, uh, maybe Zielinski coming on in the second half. Uh, he's a, he's another player that's, that's been great. He, he came on against Milan, uh, got a goal. Uh, that was a, that was a big one, but I don't, I don't see him starting, uh, but could definitely come off the bench in the, in the second half. But really, um, if, if, uh, there was ever a match where we're going to see our classic 11. It's going to be this one. You know, we, uh, we go to the Netherlands next week for our final uh, Champions League group stage match, but that's going to be the one where we see rotation, not, not against Juve. Um, do you think, I mean, cause I, I know there's a, there's been many on Twitter who've actually been praising, um, um, Maggio and his work, um, and you know, in a, in a little bit of a, a kind of a you know insurance role. Do you yeah. think in that role? Do you think that Saudi may go with him this on Friday, or do you think it's going to be Rui? Yeah, I think if uh, Rui is fit, he will get the start. Maggio has just been incredible, and I love it. I've I've always had a soft spot for him, so I love to see him doing so well. Uh, but Rui. Uh, he's, uh, he's been playing well, uh, picked up a, a bit of a knock the other week, but I, I think if he is fit, he will get the nod, but it's great that, that we could turn to Maggio, uh, even, even still man's in his mid thirties and he's arguably, arguably, uh, playing the best, uh, that he's ever played for us. So that's, uh, it's good to be able to turn to him. Uh, Phil, who do you think is the uh, is the anti Napoli uh, the main contender for Napoli at, at the top between Inter and Juventus? Who do you, as a Napoli fan, fear most uh, to take that title away from from Napoli? Well, I, I would say that the quote unquote fear still has to be with Juve, um, uh, but. I think as we go on in the season, I, I really believe it's going to be Inter uh, that are are uh, really going to nip at our heels. Um, I think everything is clicking for them. Um, and I think Juve, they've come to an end of what is obviously, you know, my, my uh, bias against them aside, obviously an incredible run. Uh, domestically, um, but I, I think they're they're going to be out of gas by the time we get to the spring. So I think Inter are are the um, uh, the main competition, but Juve will obviously uh, still still be at least somewhat in it and, uh, until the very end. And and of course the fear is still going to be just like in past seasons where it seemed like maybe Juve are, are falling off a bit and then they have a resurgence we're still going to be thinking of them but i think what spalletti 
Atleti is doing at Inter is really incredible. And I think they probably end up second. If they're not second, they're going to be a very close third. Absolutely. I, I'm with you, Phil. I think that as the season goes on, it becomes kind of bigger and bigger and more apparent to everybody that like, oh, wait, like Inter everyone this season. I think they're going to keep doing that. And I, I agree with your prediction that second or a very close third, I, unless someone gets hurt or something really catastrophic happens, I, I don't see them falling that far off just because of where they are and how consistent they've been. So before I get a prediction from you, I know you are the founder of Napoli Club Filia. Well, I give you a chance, your club on the Italian Football Daily Podcast, we do let our guests have a little bit of freedom with that. So I want yeah, you, thank you to go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, I, I finally started the group back in September. It's funny. Um, I'm, I'm actually pretty close to a number of fans uh, of, of rival clubs, believe it or not, um, here in the Philly area. And for the longest time, especially the Milan guys, uh, they were really pushing me to uh, start a Napoli club. And I, I finally have uh, some more time to do it. Um, we're more informal, at, at least starting out, like I said, just founded back in, in September, and we're getting people together. Um, we have a, uh, a spot in the city, Grand Cafe L'Aquila, uh, that is uh, always generous enough to host us for meetups. They have really all of the matches on, so it's, it's, a, it's a good way to, to get us together for the matches. Again, nothing, nothing super official super or super formal yet at least um but we we do have a, a number of a number of members and uh always looking to grow and, and we really do have a, a pretty strong uh calcio community down here in philly and I'm, I'm glad to see people really coming out um for all of the clubs uh you know new york Boston, those are those are probably uh, always going to be bigger areas for Syria, more more fans. But uh, don't don't overlook Philly. Absolutely. I just wanted to sorry guys, I just wanted to add uh, on Philly. Uh, I was at the Juventus Roma game in July, uh, and there was an event held by uh, uh, another group, uh, Curva America, uh, where I met a um, an older gentleman from South Philly, a Roma fan, but we had a very long, a good hour and a half conversation on just Calcio alone, and he was very knowledgeable. So I got to give a shout out to all the fans uh, around North America and the world uh, listening for Calcio, and it's just a beautiful thing to see. No matter what team you support, just to talk about our brand of, of football, uh, which is unique to the world, and uh, it's, it's just a great thing to see. Absolutely. And before we close out, uh, I'm going to throw out a couple Twitter accounts uh, for the listeners to follow. Napoli Club Philly is at Napoli Philly. And of course, at Otsuri Fan Phil. Phil, before we cut you loose, we need a prediction. What do you got for this weekend, buddy? All right. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say 3 1 Napoli. Ooh. 
three on Juve's vaunted mm. defense. You yep. confident in that? I can dig it. Uh, we will make our predictions, uh, and then we'll wrap up here. Uh, Phil, I really do appreciate you hopping on. I will let you hear our predictions. Uh, Joe, what was your prediction again? Uh, I said a 1-1 draw. A 1-1 draw. So essentially antithesis of uh, Phil's prediction in which the Juve defense makes a stop on Napoli's hot-scoring offense. I'm going to go with a 2-1 victory. for Napoli, I just think they're going to thrive at, in, with, at the home atmosphere. I think it's going to be a, a packed crowd, obviously, at the San Paolo. And I, uh, you know, I just, as a neutral in this game, obviously, um, I just want to see, I think this is where we're going to see, you know, um, if Napoli really are the, uh, the favorites legitimately for the uh, Scudetto. So I'm looking forward to this one for sure as a way to, as, as a way to enter the weekend on a Friday. Absolutely. And I just want to, sorry, Patrick, for interrupting you again. I just want to add, if anyone from Being Sports is listening here, it's going to be a good game. You better show it. Uh, there's going to be a lot of star power here. <laughs> so uh, we've got two of the best teams in Europe. It's going to be a hell of a match for whatever team you cheer for, for a neutral. If you've never watched Calcio, Italian uh, Serie A, this is a good match uh, to watch. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm actually currently trying to, and will be, but hopefully it doesn't come up against one of those, uh, you know, one of, one of those, Madrid uh, or Barcelona matches. One which, of those Girona, Girona-Valencia matches. Uh. Those, those crucial La Liga <laughs> matches. Uh, anyway, so I will throw out my prediction. I also think it's going to be 2-1 Napoli. I think the offense would just be a little too much for Juve's defense, who haven't been bad, but in the form that we're used to seeing, um, I think this is going to be an absolute barn burner. And I think it helps that we'll be at the San Paolo. Uh, That helps a lot, in my opinion. I think they're going to be all over this match. Hopefully, uh, it'll be easy to find on TV. Um, and hopefully we can all see it because that's absolutely the match of the week. Uh, big thanks to our guests today, uh, Phil and Amarato. Uh, grazie for joining. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, and uh, Matt, Joe, thank you guys for joining. And of course, thank you to Roberto. I'm going to throw some Twitter handles out again. You can always hit us up at me on Twitter. I'm at stole underscore P Matt is Matt underscore Santangelo and Joe is Joe Antonio C. So you can always find our work at footballdaily.com. Uh, thanks for joining us. I uh, had a really busy show with Montella out Gattuso in uh, Napoli, Juve and a uh, little goalkeeper talk. We'll see you next time for Joe, for Matt, for Phil, for Roberto. I'm Patrick. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.